Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Obviously, the Jets know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com, joined, as always, by my co-host, Dalvin Asario. Dalvin, how you doing today after our New York Jets started 0-1? I'm great, Joe. The tank rolls on, right? (laughs) I think it's good. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, just glad the football's back. Um, It was a good weekend of games, aside from obviously the Jet game. Uh, so yeah, just glad that football's back. Football is back, and we will dive into numerous things that we saw week one, obviously mostly focusing on what we saw in the New York Jets 21-12 season opening loss to the Buffalo Bills. Before we dive into everything, I want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official team sponsor and partner of the New York Jets for the 2017 season. Make sure to check out primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets for more information and some of the different packages that they're going to have this year at the team's home games and some of the upcoming away games as well. Uh, They're going to have different discounts in place if you log in through that primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets. Make sure to give them a follow on Twitter. Make sure to give them a follow on Facebook. Again, that's primesport official team partner and sponsor of the New York Jets heading into the 2017 season. So, Dalvin, uh, our Jets started off this season in Buffalo, went into the game eight or nine-point underdogs, depending on where you were getting your lines from. Obviously, most were expecting a low-scoring, defensive-dominated game, and that's fairly roughly what we got. The Jets' defense, uh, I would say, was probably the biggest disappointment coming out of this game. They did only allow 21 points, which on the surface does not seem all that awful, but the amount of yardage uh, that they allowed and the ease that Buffalo went up and down the field with was definitely concerning. You know, keep in mind that Buffalo missed the field goal in this game. They threw an interception in the end zone, uh, picked off by Justin Burris. Looked like it was going to be a 105-yard interception return, but uh, knocked into Marcus May, and the Jets didn't end up getting any points uh, out of that following drive. You know, this was a competitive game. It was 7-6 to six at halftime. It was 14-12 to 12, uh, late in the second half uh, before Buffalo was able to put it away, thanks in part to Todd Bowles' extremely conservative play calling and deciding to punt the ball uh, down two possessions with about five minutes left in the clock, showing he had not learned from his mistake last season. <laughs> uh, you know, as we mentioned defensively, Really, the main culprits for why Buffalo was moving the ball was a, a tough day from Darren Lee and Demario Davis. You know, don't be fooled by what you saw in the box score. They were victimized up and down the field, both in the run and the pass game. 
in particular. Another disappointing effort from Muhammad Wilkerson, who was being pushed around and failed to make any impact plays. Offensively, the Jets... It just seems like they're running in quicksand, right? They're, they're gaining a yard to two yards at a time. They're throwing two-yard crossing patterns on third and 10. They had absolutely no running game to speak of. Didn't even start using Bilal Powell until the last few minutes of the second quarter. Uh, they had a couple decent plays somewhat down the field to Jermaine Curse and Will Ty uh, that helped propel their only touchdown drive of the game, a fourth-down quarterback sneak by Josh McCown. McCown was okay, uh, particularly for the first three quarters, but in the fourth quarter threw a pair of interceptions on really two ugly jump balls, uh, one to Robbie right. Anderson. I actually believe the second one was to, was to Robbie Anderson as well, but two balls that he didn't have all that much of a chance on. Not really shocking. McCown looked like who he was throughout his entire career, but this offense is, it's tough to watch, man. You know, Matt Forte is running in cement. Uh, there's really no explosive plays down the field. The only guys who were moving the chains were Jermaine Curse and Will Ty, guys who weren't on the team even nine, ten days ago. So, you know, kind of a, a flat, somewhat disappointing opening, but, a, you know, a reminder and a reality check to where this team is at right now. You know, they lost by you know, more than one possession to a team who was probably one of the five or six worst teams in the NFL. And even though they only lost by nine, it didn't really feel like the game was that close. What What were your thoughts and reactions to what you saw uh, on Sunday, Dalvin? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you nailed it on the head with just one, the lack of explosion from the offense. Um, I think, I mean, the glass half full, you it is, I guess, promising that McCagden found that was able to acquire curse and was able to pick up will tie who again uh, both showed more than i think could have been expected for guys that weren't on the roster right but it does go to show you what a poor job he's done building this team that the tight end that he drafted didn't really do much of anything and the receivers that he drafted didn't really do much of anything i know that he you know robbie anderson is probably going to be a target hog in this offense but I, and it's funny because uh, certain, certain, like I was going back and forth with uh, with my draft season co-host Jeff about this during the week, and he was like, "Oh, you know, look, he found Bryce Petty, and a fourth round pick turning into a back, you're turning into your best quarterback. That's you know, that has to be a win." And I think. I think what happens because the team is so bad, in turn, you start to oversell some of these guys. So they oversell Rob, Robbie Anderson as a guy that, honestly, Robbie Anderson probably wouldn't see the field on a lot of other teams. But because of the Jets and their lack of their lack of successful drafting at wide receiver over the last few years, he's now their number one receiver, obviously, with Quincy Anua now out. And sure, there's talent there, but you do wonder if he had been on another team, would you even really notice Robbie Anderson? Because, again— in, in the, on the one interception, the first one that McCown threw, I thought that, I mean, obviously it looked like he was just trying to make a play and he forced it. And you do wonder, should, should I mean, Anderson made a heck of an effort to even try to come down with the ball. But it's one of those things where the, that's the kind of things the Jets are going to have to depend on to win games. It's those 50-50 balls. It's those throw-ups where a receiver goes and gets it. It's where Will Tide muscles somebody in the flat to get an extra first down. They're not going to beat teams on talent because this is not a very talented roster. And that was apparent in Buffalo against a team that's not very good. Buffalo is not a very good team. Buffalo's probably going to get smoked on Sunday. You know, but I get that, like, you know, they came out and won. And the thing is, home openers with new coaches are always high energy. And you very rarely do you see the do you see the team with the new coach win? We saw it with Rex. We saw it with Bowles. Right. Very rarely do you see got, uh, new head coaches lose their the, the openers at home. Um, but Buffalo is also a bad team. It's just Buffalo made. It's, I mean, the Jets couldn't stop the run, which, again, I mean, for a team that has been able to stop the run for years, it's kind of telling that, oh, man, now you can't stop the run. Um, but it's also one game, too. 
too. I, I, the biggest concerns, I think, for me, like you mentioned, Mo Wilkerson, who just got pushed around a lot. Darren Lee did not make any plays really whatsoever. And that, again, on, on offense, while Curse and, and Ty were their best players, the best player on defense, aside from Leo Williams and Jamal Adams, are guys that weren't even on this roster, you know, and, and, and Josh Martin and, and Coney Ely. And again, the Jets got lucky that the Patriots cut him because he didn't fit, but Ely was a, a I thought he was a menace off the edge. And honestly, probably the best edge presence the Jets have had in a really long time. So I I think that there's things to be concerned about long term, but it's not anything that we didn't see coming. Yeah, I don't think there were there was too many surprises. I mean a few other positives that you mentioned, yeah. Coney Ely very active from the opening snap is basically playing starters reps already was, you know, getting a good push active in the run game and the pass game. Josh Martin was terrific. Uh, dropped LaShawn McCoy for a loss on the screen, dropped him for a loss around the goal line, uh, got a half sack, was very active around the quarterback and looks like the team's best pure outside linebacker right now, which, you know, it's a good find, but it's also alarming and frustrating that Lorenzo Malden and Jordan Jenkins aren't those guys. And it's alarming and frustrating that Coney Ely is, you know, one of the two or three best players on this defense week one when he wasn't even here, you know, 10 days ago. There were, you know, there were a few other bright spots spread throughout. Justin Burris played relatively well. He only played 30 snaps, uh, and he'll be challenged more going forward as he gets more playing time and faces better receivers. Brandon Shell held up well at right tackle, uh, you know, and then on the other side of it, you know, I think what was disappointing was, you know, it was a quiet start for Anderson. He only had 20 yards receiving. Uh, it was a, it was a, I think a somewhat disappointing start for offensive coordinator John Morton. He does not have a lot to work with, obviously, but I didn't see anything overly creative that are going to help the Jets compensate for their lack of talent. I didn't love the play calling in the red zone, you know, throwing a fade to Jermaine Curse, trying a shovel pass that fortunately McCown and Ardarius still were able to, you know, improvise a little bit on. But then, you know, the rollout pass again on third down, the rollout pass uh, for the two-point conversion, uh, just no confidence really in this running game, and I don't understand waiting so long to get Powell active because Matt Forte simply does not look like he could play anymore. He had, you know, dropped a couple of passes. You know, he could no burst. Uh, I'm not saying the Jets offensive line was clearing out a ton of space, but, you know, Forte, I don't understand the purpose of having him out there anymore. Play Powell, play, play Elijah McGuire, who didn't get any offensive snaps. And I think what I'm concerned about, you know, now if, if Jeremy Curley is active next week, which I'm assuming he will be, you know, you saw Darius Stewart play 30, 35 reps. You saw Hanson play 10, 12 reps. Are those reps going to go away and now go to Curley? So, you know, your offense is built around McCown, Forte, Curley, uh, Ty, and Curse, you know, five guys who I don't even know if they're going to be here next year, and none of them really are, are going to be building blocks for the future, whereas you hope people like Stewart, Hanson, McGuire, Leggett, when he gets back healthy, uh, will be. So it's going to be interesting to see how the reps are divided up at that point. You know, we know the Jets are going into Oakland this week. I believe they're the weekend's biggest underdogs. Oakland's going to be everyone's pick in the survivor pool, which is completely understandable. It's hard to say... You know, what are the adjustments you make to, you know, compete with Oakland, a team who might be one of the four or five best teams in the league? Because from a talent standpoint, the Jets, you know, have really no, they're completely outclassed in this game. So what adjustments can they make to find a way to be competitive in a really, really tough spot on the West Coast against Oakland? 
I mean, start fast. I think that's the biggest thing. I think we see in Oakland a team that has two good receivers, right? They have a really good offensive line. They have a good running back who showed no rust despite not playing for two years, essentially. Um, And so I think, I mean, I think it's important that the Jets get out to a fast start if they want to have any chance at this, at at pulling off an upset on the West Coast. They also want to get, they also want to be able to get pressure on, on Derek Carr. Um, be, and I think that's important. Get enough pressure on him where you knock him off his spots because I think nobody in the NFL, with the exception of probably Alex Smith, is as good as Carr of of essentially just getting rid of the ball before he's even touched. Alex Smith does it, and it's it's an underrated skill with quarterbacks, and they don't tend to see ghosts when they get hit. They still go through their three-step reads and get rid of the ball. So you want to get pressure on Carr. You also want to show that you can stop Marshawn Lynch because obviously if you couldn't stop LaShawn McCoy, and Marshawn Lynch to me is a better running back than, than McCoy, you're going to have issues. And Oakland offensive line is very good so it's going to be interesting to see what the Jets do in terms of containing him but you have to get pressure and you have to get physical with Cooper and Crabtree who again are really good wide receivers arguably the best duo in football I guess um you know if you really consider it but they don't like to they they struggle with physical secondaries like when with Denver or with San Diego and Barrett would get his hands on Cooper they would struggle with them so I think that's something that you would want to watch do Claiborne Burris and screen get physical enough within the realm of obviously not breaking, not not drawing any flags. Do they get physical enough to, to disrupt their timing on those quick routes? Those are going to be the biggest things I think. Before we go any further, I want to also remind you that this podcast is brought to you by mybookie.ag. MyBookie has been in the business for years, and their reputation is rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses, so right off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing, and they have the fastest payout. Seriously, just two business days. To take advantage, join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 100% cash bonus. Use the promo code TOJ to activate the offer. Again, that's mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. So, New York Jets 0-1. I wouldn't say they were the worst-looking team in the NFL Week 1. I mean, they did score four times as many points as the Giants. They lost by, uh, what, six less points than the Patriots did. You know, the Bengals got shut out, so that's going for us. Uh, But, you know, I think... One of the things I wrote about and was thinking about this week, it's easy to look at a roster uh, for a long time and hear about how bad they're going to be. It's easy to get some hints of that in the preseason and some hints of it in practice. But when you really see them out there when the game matters and you realize just you know, how ill-equipped this team is to compete with most teams in the NFL, I think the reality starts to set in about where this team is at currently. And you're reminded that you know, for all the stuff that you hear all summer, practice and training camp – do not matter all that much. This was a long summer of hearing about how Demario Davis is lighter and looks great and he's going to be better in coverage. He looked exactly like he did in 2015. Uh, A long summer of hearing how Darren Lee is bulked up and is going to take the next step. He looked exactly like he did, if not worse, than he did last year. Uh, It was similar to the stuff we heard about Hackenberg all summer. He's making so much progression. None of that progression translates to the game. Uh, For the most part, what you see is that Players are who they are, and coaches are who they are. And, you know, Todd Bowles, you know, I do still believe that Todd Bowles gets 
too much blame comparatively to McCagnan and other circumstances around this team. And I hate when fans zero in as one individual as the cause of all the team's problem because it's never that simple. But Bowles is not doing himself any favors with ridiculous game management decisions and then no logical way to explain them to the media afterwards. Bowles is bad and has been bad, just like McCagnan is bad and has been bad. And you just have to look at his draft classes and the roster he built to show that. Uh, so, you know, with Bowles, I don't think, you know, Woody Johnson is going to be the kind of guy who's going to fire somebody midseason. Uh, he hasn't done that in recent history. I'm not, I don't think it's going to be something we're going to see, but Bowles is going to be the guy who deals with the brunt of the blame and the criticism uh, throughout the year, and he's not helping his cause at all with showing no advancement in game management issues. So, you know, despite all the issues that McCagnan has and that go under the radar for some when he's really been almost just as bad, if not worse than Bowles. Bowles is going to be the face of this problem. I mean, what what did you think about his game management decisions and how he responded to the media and where fans are directing their anger at this point, Dalvin? I mean, I think he was a little better than uh, than last year in terms of just not being as conservative until he got to the punt, right? Like he went for two point with it for the two, which I was surprised he did that because I didn't think that that made much sense. I think that you never chase the points. I think you kick the extra point and then punting would have made more sense at that point because you're only down eight. So then in turn, you're banking on the defense to stop Buffalo. So that way you can get one more shot. Um, he coached weirdly I think uh towards the end but it's similar to every defensive coach that just trusts their defense way too much this is a defense that got gashed during the game by Buffalo's run game and sure enough you banked on them again to make one more stop um I think that I do think and I've said this repeatedly I think that I think that Jet fans can't sit here and say that they want the team to tank and then be upset when Bowles makes a decision that clearly aligns with the tank. Um, but I do think that with Bowles in particular, there's a lot that he needs to get better at. And the thing is, he's still making the same mistakes he was making his first year. Um, the only diff- the only, Well, he's making a lot of the same mistakes. The only difference that I will say is that he does seem more inclined to be more aggressive, at least early on. Granted, it's only one game. Uh, the decision to punt didn't make any sense. I also don't take what he says to the media at face value, so I guess that's why that didn't really bother me too much. I think when people, when he said that, people were like, oh, this is insulting. And I'm like, but he, I mean, there's a guy who sat there and said that the fullback would have a big role this year, and then the fullback did not play one snap. Or this is the guy that said, yeah, no, Gino's probably out for a long time, and then Gino was active week one. I, I don't I don't put much stock in what he says because similar to Parcells he they don't they don't feel like giving the media much and so yeah I don't that didn't really bother me too much but the decision to punt I think was foolish and obviously it just did not make sense because you're that's a that's a decision you make when you're down eight and you're trying to get the ball back not when you're down two scores yeah and I think it was weird because he made the right call to go for it on fourth down. It was right, probably, right. Maybe, probably made the overly aggressive, although maybe not the best by the book call to go for two. And then uh, you saw like almost like he was in on this, you know, tank process. He's in He's on like, the tank, You know, man. we're going to wave the white flag here. And I, you know, I don't think at that point the Jets were coming back no matter what they did. But still, right, it's right. a bad look and it, it feeds into the narrative that Bulls is helping himself build that he's, you know, kind of incompetent and out of completely out of touch with why it was the wrong decision. So, right. you know, going forward for this team, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see because the games that fans had circled on the calendar uh, as potential wins, Buffalo was definitely one of them. And the Jets will get Buffalo one more time. They'll get them on Thursday night at home. They still have a game against Cleveland, who looked pretty good week one. They have a game against Jacksonville, who looked really good week one. Uh, obviously, Oakland is not a game that has been circled as one that they have a good chance. And I think your hope this week, if you're a Jets fan, is 
the team goes out and competes. Uh, defensively, they play sounder football. They make more tackles. You continue to see good progress from Jamal Adams, who had a really encouraging debut. Uh, you know, it was mm-hmm. a heat-seeking missile in the run game, showed great closing uh, speed in the, in the pass game, had a really encouraging start to his career, uh, was involved, and in was one of the main reasons why the Jets had that interception in the red zone. So you want to see him continue to grow and develop. You want to see Leonard Williams continue to do his thing. He played well week one. And then offensively, you want them to do enough just to, you know, hang around and compete. You don't want to get blown off the field in any of these weeks. And then you come back for your home open with Miami and you take it from there but you know it, the Jets being 13 14 point underdogs this week is it, it, completely fair and you know they got to show that they have the ability to hang around a te- with a team that's going to be superiorly talented to them and if Todd Bowles wants to start getting a little credibility back uh, you find a way to you know make this game interesting into the fourth quarter mm-hmm. which is going to be an uphill battle so uh, before we wrap any final words or thoughts on Jets Oakland next week Dalvin I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I think that I, and that's, I guess, one thing that I will say that it didn't look like the players gave up other than obviously Wilkerson, I guess. Um, the players did try until the final whistle. And I think that's something that could be credited to Bowles. Um, I agree with you, though. I think they have a chance to, you know, surprise some folks by keeping this competitive. I mean, if you pull off a win, I, I again, this is the kind of win that becomes super misleading because it's like, oh my God, the Jets beat a really good team. And honestly, teams have flat, uh, you know, games all the time. So it's possible Oakland comes out flat. Um, but the Jets notoriously have struggled uh, going out west, you know, with a couple of exceptions here and there. Um, the biggest thing I think is just honestly just fight and continue to fight. Try to try to get as much pressure on car as you can. Try to beat up a very good Oakland offensive line. And maybe you steal one on the road, but at the very least you want them to try and keep it close. All right, everybody, uh, we will be back next week with a new episode breaking down what the Jets did against Oakland. Uh, before we wrap, we'll throw it to uh, Scott for a preview of this week's Play Like a Jet. Quick reminders, some housekeeping. Make sure to subscribe to the Turn on the Jets podcast on iTunes. Leave us a review. Make sure to subscribe to Play Like a Jet on iTunes and leave a review. You can check out all our writing at turnonthejets.com. Make sure to follow Dalbin on Twitter at DA underscore Sario. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at jcaparos. So make sure to check out all of our gear at theloyalist.com backslash turn on the Jets. I got to tell you, we did see a rush of uh, tank and on the clock shirts after this <laughs> one. I'm not going to lie. We, there was a sudden surge of them. Uh, we will continue to push forward with some different new designs throughout the year. Appreciate the support over there. And uh, that's about it. So we'll be back next week. Stay strong, Jet fans. You know, Stay strong. Root, root, for, root for wins, but don't be overly disappointed with the losses. We'll be back to talk about week two next week. Now we'll throw it over to Scott. Thanks for listening. And before we wrap this week's episode, want to give you guys a preview of this week's Play Like a Jet podcast hosted by Scott Mason. Uh, that airs every Friday, and you should make sure to subscribe to it on iTunes. Scott interviews different people from the New York Jets past on things in the team's history, uh, has had a ton of great guests so far, and currently is working through just a fascinating interview with former New York Jets safety Eric McMillan. Scott, what should we expect on the way this week? Hey, Joe, what's going on, man? Listen, this week is going to be interesting because, as you said, we've been working our way through the 1988 season, which is actually one of the more underrated seasons in Jets history, and you're going to find out why as we continue this series. We're now on part three, and we're doing it with Eric McMillan, the former two-time All-Pro safety who was a rookie in 1988. And, well, if you heard the first two parts, you know that Eric has a lot to say, and he does not have any trouble saying what's really on his mind. Really looking forward to dropping part three this week. 
I'll put it this way. We are now at a stretch where back-to-back weeks, the Jets were going to be playing two of the all-time best quarterbacks in the NFL, two Hall of Famers. And you're going to hear a story this week on the show, this Friday, from Eric about one of those quarterbacks that is going to absolutely blow your mind. I'll tell you right now, it's one of the craziest stories I ever heard. I actually had to stop for a second and say, wait a second, are you serious? Did you really just tell me that? It is one of the most fascinating and hilarious stories that you will ever hear. If you're a Jets fan or a football fan in general, believe me, you want to listen to this. It's the kind of thing that maybe I'll put it up on YouTube or something too, because I think it could go viral. It's such an insane story. Anybody that has any knowledge of football history and a sense of humor is really going to enjoy it. So this Friday, it's going to drop part three of our discussion with Eric McMillan, on the 1988 season, you can get it at iTunes. You can go subscribe there, anywhere where podcasts can be downloaded. And, of course, as always, at TurnOnTheJets.com. And make sure you leave reviews not only for us, but also for Joe and Dalvin in the Turn on the Jets podcast, for Dalvin and Jeff and draft season. And if you haven't been listening to that and you're a Jets fan, shame on you because that, you know, all due respect to myself, and to Joe and to Kyle and Ben, who I'm going to talk about in a second, Draft Season is probably the quintessential podcast that we have right now, only for the sense that, let's be honest, the Jets are basically playing for the 2018 draft, and you want to know everything you can about the players and, and everything that's going on before the draft going into it, because the draft is basically the Jets' Super Bowl this year, so make sure you subscribe and listen to Draft Season. And, of course, our newest podcast, they're live every Wednesday at 8 o'clock, The Jet Take with Kyle Fahey and Ben Blessington. You can call in and give them a hard time. I've been doing that lately, and it's been a lot of fun. So make sure you listen to all our shows and follow us on uh, and follow us on uh, Twitter and make sure that you leave us reviews. But this Friday, believe me, you do not want to miss it. Insane story from Eric McMillan on the 1988 season on Play Like a Jet. All right. Thank you, Scott. And another reminder to subscribe to Play Like a Jet on iTunes. You could also check out episodes on turnonthejets.com every Friday. Uh, so make sure to do that. You don't want to miss this week's interview. And I think you definitely should pull that story out. And let's get that out in a YouTube uh, video as well uh, to supplement the episode. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another new episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast, The Jet Take.